Well, everybody, it's good to see you, even if it's through a camera lens, and I trust you've had a, uh, a good week in spite of all that's going on. We want you to know that we love you and that we're here as much as we can be. Please keep us posted and know that uh, we're praying for you. And I trust, too, that what uh, I've prepared and what God has prepared in me would be encouraging and that it will move us forward in this time where we're not really certain about some of the future events. So, something I want you to know about me, I hate passwords. Every time I look around, I'm seeing password requests for myself. I need it for my email, I need it for Telus, I need it for, for Netflix, I need it for iTunes, and all these different things, Rogers. And then they tell you you're supposed to change your passwords every 30 to 90 days. How am I supposed to do that? I can't even, I can't even remember the ones that I have. And then there's my phone. See, on my phone, you know, you're supposed to have numbers, but I have this iPhone 7, uh, not super techie guy here, but I can use my thumbprint and it opens up my phone. But unfortunately, sometimes I leave my phone out at Central Heights Church, which is supposed to be a safe place, especially amongst our staff. And when I do that and walk away, this is sometimes what I find. Have a look. So you see, we have passwords partially because there are some people in this world that we can't totally trust. Thanks a lot, Rod. But what about the uh, really important things? Who has your passwords? Who are the people that are in your will that are your executor or who are your power of attorney people? What about the guardians of your children? Or maybe more on a personal level, when you think about the, the deepest, darkest secrets that you have in your heart, who are the people that you entrust those things to? Who are the people you would share with? My guess is you're probably gonna share those things with people you trust. People who make a practice of being honest and who are showing a consistent and uncompromising adherence to strong moral and ethical principles and values. See what I did there? I basically gave you a definition, the definition of integrity right in there. Let me read it again. It's people who make a practice of being honest and showing consistent and uncompromising adherence to strong moral and ethical principles and values. Integrity. So the book of Titus gives us a pretty good picture of integrity and what we as followers of Jesus, why, why integrity is important to us and how we should respond to the challenge of integrity. So the book of Titus gives us a really good picture, kind of like the gold standard picture of, of what integrity might look like. So to start off, I just want to give you a little bit of background about Titus, and I thought a better way to do it would be to show you rather than tell you. So have a look at this. Paul's letter to Titus. Titus was a Greek follower of Jesus who was for years a trusted co-worker and traveling companion of Paul's. He had helped Paul in a number of crisis situations in the past, and in this letter we discover that Paul had assigned him the task of going to Crete, a large island off the coast of Greece, to restore order to a network of house churches. Now, Cretan culture was notorious in the ancient world. One of the Greek words for being a liar was kretidzo, to be a Cretan. These people were infamous for treachery and greed. Most of the men on the island had served as mercenary soldiers to the highest bidder, and the island cities were known as being unsafe, plagued by violence and sexual corruption. However, the island of Crete had many strategic harbors, and they serviced cities all over the ancient Mediterranean Sea. And so, from Paul's point of view, Crete was the perfect place to start a network of churches. 
Now, we don't know the details, but somehow these churches came under the influence of corrupt Cretan leaders. They said they were Christians, but they were ruining the churches. And so Paul assigned Titus with the task of going there to set things straight, and this letter provided the instructions. It has a pretty straightforward design. After a brief introduction, Paul gives Titus clear instructions about his tasks in the church. He then offers guidance about the new kind of household and then about the new kind of humanity that the gospel could create in these Cretan communities. Paul then closes the letter with some final greetings. So Paul opens the whole thing by reminding Titus that his message as an apostle is about the hope of eternal life, that is, the life of the new creation, that is available starting now through Jesus the Messiah. And this hope was promised long ago by the God who does not lie. Now, this little opening comment introduces an important theme underlying the whole letter. One of the problems in the Cretan churches was that they had assimilated their ideas about Jesus, the Christian God, to their ideas about the Greek gods that they grew up with, specifically Zeus, their chief god. Cretan people claimed that Zeus was actually born on their island, and they loved to tell stories and mythologies about Zeus's underhanded character. He would seduce women and lie to get his way. And Paul wants to be really clear. The God revealed through Jesus is totally different than Zeus. His basic character traits are faithfulness and truth, which means the Christian way of life will be about truth also, which will be a real change for these Cretans. So, as you saw, in contrast to the Cretans and how they're living, Paul's instructions to Titus are to kind of give us the gold standard. This is how a follower of Jesus is supposed to live. He's saying, Titus, when you're looking for leaders, look for these characteristics. So here's a little piece of the gold standard. I'll read it to you from Titus chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. So this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So here's the list. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instructions in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Whew, that is a list. It's pretty extensive, and I would say pretty much the opposite of what I understand the Cretans were doing. You might be saying, sure, I'm, I'm sure glad I'm not a leader, but hold on. I don't think that lets us off the hook. Basically what is being told, Titus is being told, look, Titus, as you look and as you teach, teach what is in accordance with sound doctrine. So in other words, you need to pass this on to other people and that's the standard by which they're supposed to live as well. Well, what are we supposed to teach them? Let's look again at Titus chapter, chapter two this time, starting at verse two. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Again, a high, high standard. It's crazy. Some people might be overwhelmed by that. But as leaders, 
We're supposed to pass it on. Live it out, yes, but pass it on. So that's the standard by which we're called to live. We're supposed to live lives of integrity. But in today's world, why would I? Why would I want to live a life of integrity? Well, I want to give you three points as to why. First of all, I want you to know that living a life of integrity actually is an appropriate response. An appropriate response to what? To being redeemed. Let me look again at Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It says he gave himself. Now, I guess I'm asking the question, what would be the hardest thing for you to give up? Some of you might say your freedom. I mean, we're being challenged with that right now. Some would say your spouse or your kids. Maybe it's a certain item. Financial security, we're being faced with that as we speak. For me, one of those things is my plans. I, I, uh, if I'm honest, I have a sabbatical coming in June and I had kind of a lot of plans for that. One of the things I planned, I, I went out and I purchased a three-wheel motorcycle called a Can-Am Spider and I have plans to go out and pick it up because it's in Quebec. I wanted to pick it up and drive it all the way across Canada on a cross-Canada tour. At this point, I don't know that that's going to happen. That's something I have to give up. But in light of this passage, and in light of the fact that God our Savior, pardon me, God and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave himself, those things seem small. And why did he do that? To redeem us. Now, redeem isn't a word that we always use, but it's a word that we use fairly often in things like credit cards. Now, I just, I just had a situation where my credit card didn't work, and I was all worried because I wasn't going to get my points. So I was looking on the internet and I'm going, okay, we redeem points for certain things. So something fun here, uh, I found this little webpage that said, surprising things you can redeem your airline miles and reward points for. So did you know that you could redeem your airline and, and uh, airline points for a sock subscription or a baby spa experience? What about a day course? The day course is called How to Fly Without Fear. Maybe you could redeem it for a 100-gram gold bar or a vegan a food tour of Ho Chi Minh City via scooter. Another one, three-day bullfighting and rodeo clown school. Another one, ride in a NASCAR stock car with a veteran driver. So another organization offers cage diving to see the great white sharks. Six aerial combat drill, dog fights in a fighter jet, or you can even redeem 2 million points to take a flight to space with Virgin Atlantic. Go figure. Redeem. It's a little bit different the way Titus is explaining it. It literally means to liberate by payment of ransom. In other words, what Jesus did is he bought us back. He gave himself to buy us back. But buy us back from what? From a life that he never intended for us. It's, again, in Titus chapter 3, it says this, starting at verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, 
passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That is not the life that God designed for us. But I love this. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, catch that, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to do good works. So because of what Jesus has done, it's out of that, it's a response to, for us to be people of integrity, to, do pe to be people of good works. The way I kind of picture it, it's like an exchange. We talked about redeem. So with, with the credit card companies, basically you exchange your points for something. In this case, if you like, take 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin goes on him, and he gives us, he exchanges with us, giving us the righteousness of God. But not only are we given the righteousness of God, verse 14 of, of Titus 2 says, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. God wants you and he wants to be able to say, you're mine. For, your own, for his own possession. We belong to him. John 1.12 says, But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So, uh, this is a really important point here, and I want you to catch it because I think it's transformational for me, at least, and I think for many of us. It's not just about our security. Often we look at that passage and we think that because of what Jesus has done for us, we think we're secure, we're safe with our Father. And that is true, and that has been a huge part of my journey. But it's more than that. I, I think back to the word authority. The, the story of the prodigal son, and uh, the, the son goes off and he makes a lot of bad decisions, and when he comes to his senses, he comes home. And he comes with a sense of, I'm not worthy. The father's response to him is very telling. And this is a picture of how God sees us. He responds by not listening to the sons, I'm not worthy, but instead restoring him. He gives him three things. He gives him a set of shoes and a robe, which are signs of sonship, been renewed, safety. But he also gives him a ring. And I preached about this a while back. But that ring is a ring of authority. When we have that exchange, we carry the authority of God in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when I speak, I speak with the authority of God. Doesn't mean I don't make mistakes, but God, through me, he speaks. When I act, people, I am representing God. People see me and they see God in me. When I pray and go to war against evil and sickness and pain, I represent him. I bear his authority and he works through me by the power of his Holy Spirit. So prayer is not just something we do kind of casually. It's going to war. It's picking up our sword and saying, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to act here. 
The enemy has no authority over us. The enemy cannot look at us and our past and our mistakes and say, you have no place here because we can show him the ring. We can show him, no, we represent the Father because he has restored me. So when I understand my position of security and authority, then I understand my motive for being zealous for good works. It's not just because I have to prove myself and it's not because I have to earn God's favor. Rather, this grace, the grace that's been extended, it actually, the buying back, this security, this authority trains me on how to live. It trains me to renounce ungodliness. It trains me to renounce worldly passion and to live a self-controlled, upright, a godly life. It's a response to what Jesus has done. It reminds me that he gave himself for me to redeem me to make me a person of his own possession who is jealous for good works. That's how God wants us to see ourselves. That's why it is an appropriate response. Integrity is an appropriate response to what Jesus has done for us. But why else would we say integrity? Because integrity demonstrates that God is working in my life. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. So I'm standing outside the Central Heights Garden and you're probably wondering why am I here? Well, it's because I'm the one who cuts the grass here. If you're really lucky on a given day, you might see me tootle along here in my little yellow tractor. It's my super happy place. But this is the stall that it happened. I was trimming the grass along the outside of the, the garden here in the parking lot and we were getting it ready for the fixing up of the, of the parking lot. And as I was going along, we had a lot of pea gravel on the ground and there were two guys out there working on a uh, learning their motorcycle skills, and they had parked their truck right here. So I'm going along and I'm trimming, there's pea gravel going around, finish up the whole area, and I come back with my, with my blower. And I look up and I see the truck and the passenger side window has been blown out. Now I have a dilemma. Did I do that? Did, did, did my rocks break that window? I won't tell you exactly what I did yet. There's two potential endings to that story. The first ending, goes like this. I just walk away. And imagine what that would have been like if I just walked away. These guys come to their truck after practicing their motorcycle skills and they realize their window's broken. They're upset. They come into the church office, say, hey, do you know who cuts the grass at the church here? Oh yeah, that's one of our pastors. Do you have his phone number? Yeah, here it is. They call me. Do you know that you broke my window? Now I have a dilemma. Do I tell them the truth? Do I hide and run? I know I broke their window. So I have to decide, am I gonna tell them the truth or not? And if I tell them the truth, yeah, I knew you broke, I broke your window. They say, well, why didn't you come tell us? That reminds me of what Titus 1.16 says. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. If I would have done that, that is what I would have been doing, denying God by my works, even though I profess. They know I'm a pastor. They know I'm a Christian. Fortunately, in this case, I was able to, to make the right decision. So what did I do? after wrestling a hard time, after asking, well, what would I tell my kids? After considering the fact that it was probably gonna cost me about 300 bucks, it's expensive. I don't wanna spend that money. I don't like working for free. I went up to them, we had a good chat. They were upset at first, but I think they really appreciated about the fact that, that I came and I was honest and that I shared with them that I was willing to pay. And in the process, I think we had some really good conversations by text and so on, as we kind of worked out the final details. But that reminds me then of Titus chapter two. Starting at verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, 
dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. You know, that's probably the thing I'm most thankful for, is that those guys don't have a bad view of Christians, of pastors, but ultimately of God, because I was able to make the right decision. Now, I don't always, but in that case, I was. And so what it did is it gave me the ability to say, I value the values that God does. I take my, my scriptures seriously. I believe what God says, and I want to be a person of integrity. So why else would we want to be a people of integrity? Why would a Christian want to be a person of integrity? Well, Titus also tells us that integrity adorns the message. It adorns the gospel. Let me take you to one more location, see if I can explain that to you. So I'm standing here in front of Planet Fitness. It's the place where I go to the gym, and it reminded me of Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That word adorn, to make attractive. When I came to the gym here one morning, I, I came in and I was greeted by one of the, the gals that checks you in. And I just happened to notice that she was picking away at her nails and she had just had them done, you could tell, and she was frustrated with something that was on there. And I, I said, that must be very frustrating to you to have brand new nails done and, and you're picking away. And she says, yeah, beauty is pain. I had never really thought about that phrase, but I suppose a gym is a place where that gets illustrated all the time. People come here because they want to look their best. I mean, I come here and I, I try and get rid of my dad bod and some people would call it a father figure um, because I want to look good. I want to feel good. And I feel like being here, that helps me to adorn myself in a positive way. Recently, we just came back from a wedding in Toronto. Uh, my nephew got married there and we rented an Airbnb. What, what was in the Airbnb? Probably we had five bathrooms for 13 of us. You know, it, you need those bathrooms to be able to, when it comes time to get ready for the wedding, people need their mirror time. I, I mean, I need help to look this good, come on. But then I thought about the bride. The bride had eight attendants plus the bride. And you think about all that went into that getting ready to be adorned. You had manis and petties. You got hair and makeup and the dresses and the shoes and the money that went into that and the time. But at the end, Man, did they look beautiful. They were adorned beautifully, very attractive. Often, I believe integrity is pain. It costs us something. What does it cost us? Am I willing to pay that price? And what does it say about me when I do? Earlier, our definition was integrity is the practice of showing a consistent and uncompromising adherence to strong moral and ethical principles and values. Therefore, a life of true integrity is a life that requires action. That consistent and uncompromising adherence to strong moral and ethical principles and values might include some of the values that we as Christians hang on to, like love your neighbor, love your enemy, do nothing out of selfish ambition, Think of others as more important than yourselves. Take care of the sick. Look after the needy. Show hospitality. That was one of the words initially in Titus that, that jumped off the page for me as well in, in the first chapter where it talked about how an elder is one who's open to hospitality, is generous to guests. Because when everything else is stripped away, like it seems to be happening to us, 
We're left with very few things. One of those things is people. And the other thing is a great commandment. That commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So integrity requires that we act. So you might be saying, okay, that's not fair. How can I do all those things when I'm stuck at home? What, what can I do? Well, here's the first question I want you to ask. It leads to two questions. First question is this. What do people around me need? And two that come to mind right away is they need to know that they're not alone and they need to know that their basic needs are going to be met. So that brings me to question two. What do I have in my hand at my disposal that I could use to help meet that need? Something that a lot of us have is, is, is time. We probably have that in abundance, probably more than we care to have. But with that time, we have access to, to tools, tools like phones and computers. We can get down on our knees and pray. Can I meet a financial need at this point for someone? Did I run out and buy six months worth of toilet paper and I have a lot that I could probably share with people? What about what Tim talked about last week with blood donations or asking ourselves, how can we reach out to our missionaries? How can we encourage them? Can I help at the food bank? Does my neighbor's garden or grass or fence need attention? Now, it'd be very easy at this point to go, just because we can't do it as a large church effort, that then we're not making a big corporate push, that it's not worth doing. But, but folks, I want you to understand, we are the church, each one of us. And as individuals, we can make an impact in the lives of everyone who is in our circle of influence. Just because we're isolated doesn't mean that we have to be alone. As TK said in his last video message he sent out, church, it's our time to shine. And when we shine, we are making the gospel attractive, beautiful. We're adorning the gospel. See, living lives of integrity, uncompromising adherence to the values that we hold to, that makes Jesus beautiful to those who see him in us. But, so here's the challenge. If you're like me, I feel like the bar is super high. I mean, if you go back to, to Titus chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, two times Paul says to Titus, these people need to be above reproach. If you use the New Living Translation, the word they use there is blameless. How, how can I be blameless? As, as, a, as innocent of wrongdoing. That's, how do I do that? So as a recovering performaholic, if I was listening to this sermon right now, I'd be kind of getting anxious. I, I don't measure up. I don't meet the standard. And I don't know if I can. But see, I want you to, I want to finish this sermon by reminding us that true integrity is also what we do when we don't measure up. Are we willing to bring our shortcomings into the light so we can be free? Because Satan's power is broken when we stop hiding our sin. If you, if you think about right at the very beginning in Genesis 3, what's the first thing Adam and Eve did when they realized they had broken God's law? They hid. And that's our natural tendency. When we don't measure up, we feel like, I have to hide. Newsflash, when we hide from God, he sees it anyway. See, our lack of honesty or our lack of gratefulness or our lack of faithfulness or our lack of love can cause us to feel like we're never going to reach God's standards. So that's why confession is important. And I want to finish reading to you from 1 John chapter 1. These have been powerful words recently in my own life, and I just want to share them with you starting at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you 
that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But, I love those words, but, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what does it give us? We have fellowship with one another. In other words, somehow that brings us closer and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So it's okay for us to admit that we have sin. But if we confess our sins, admit it, he is faithful, he will, and he is just. It is within his right judgment as the judge. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. But catch this next part, because I think it's really important. This is the heart of our Father, the one who made us his possession. Catch these last two verses. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, again, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. An advocate, someone who stands in our defense and says, Father, that one's taken care of. That advocate is Jesus Christ. And so we can be safe, we can be secure, and we can walk in that authority. So to wrap things up, as we consider where we're at in the journey towards living as people of integrity, yes, we are called to live as people of integrity. We want to be people who practice a consistent and uncompromising adherence to a strong moral and ethical principle and value. God's ethical principles and values. We want to be consistent. We need to come back to the foundation in the midst of that, though, that we serve a God who has made it possible for us in our brokenness to still walk towards integrity, knowing that his love for us never changes. So let our lives this week and going forward be lived as a response to what Jesus has done for us. And let's walk in the security and authority that he has given us as we see what these next days will unfold like. Let me pray for you. God, there are so many things happening all around us, and it would be very easy for us to lose sight of who you are and what you've done. But we come back to the foundation of your love for us and your call to, for us to be a people who respond. And so, Lord, as we work that out, we trust you to give us the confidence, the security, the authority to be people who make a difference in our world at this time of crisis and going forward. We love you and we thank you for your deep love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I also want to encourage you, there's been some questions that uh, Pastor David and others have worked on that they've also sent to you. Take some time to work those through and uh, give us some feedback when you have a chance by uh, social channels or whatever channel you want, just how that went. Bless you and trust you'll have a great week. Keep us posted.